Hello, and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. Access to higher education is a big topic these days, but debates about how to expand access often assume a one-size-fits-all model of what college should be. A new book due out this fall argues for the creation of kind of a set of colleges in many shapes and sizes, including a set of low-cost options that are hyper-focused on getting students into a first job. The book is called A New You, Faster Plus Cheaper Alternatives to College, and it's written by a venture capitalist making bets on which of these alternative colleges he thinks have the most promise. The author is Ryan Craig, a co-founder and managing director of University Ventures, and in the book, he acknowledges a key drawback of his vision. Many of these new college alternatives will intentionally leave out general education and and things like extracurriculars or time for pranks with roommates. Craig stresses that such full-service colleges are going to continue to survive for those who can get to them, but providing more career-focused options will actually be better for social mobility and providing meaningful access uh, to higher education without debt. That's his contention. Is his definition of, of college access a more practical way to achieve broader participation? Or is it giving up on a segment of students? Ed Surge sat down with Craig to talk about the new book and why he thinks the debate about college access should put less emphasis on the bachelor's degree. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge On Demand webinar, How Micro-Credentials Can Boost Professional Learning. If you missed a live event, check out the on-demand recording. Visit bit.ly slash micro-credentials webinar to register. I'm here with Ryan Craig, co-founder and managing director of University Ventures and author of the new book, A New You, Faster, Cheaper Alternatives to College. Uh, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So I, there's there's many things in here I think our audience will be really interested in, um, but I'm sort of curious to start with the issue of trust because you sort of talk about how higher education has a trust problem these days, and you sort of came into it through this idea of what you call the cult of the bachelor's degree and how there's been kind of too much emphasis on that. Could you kind of say a little bit about what you mean by the cult of the bachelor's degree? Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that uh, bachelor's degree as a phenomenon are relatively uh, relatively recent uh, in American uh, American history, up until you know just after World War II, fewer than five percent of uh, the working adult population had bachelor's degrees. Hmm. Uh, today, it's north of uh, north of north of thirty percent, uh, and basically, we have come to uh, rely on the bachelor's degree as the sole pathway uh, to a, uh, a successful career. Um, and particularly one that doesn't, you know, involve uh, working with your hands in, you know, a blue collar uh, vocation or trade, uh, which is, you know, what uh, 99% of parents want for their uh, for their children. Uh, so uh, we have developed this this cult that, you know, you're either going to uh, go to uh, go to college or, you know, if you don't, you know, maybe maybe you'll end up on Skid Row. Uh, and I'm being a little facetious, but not 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 that facetious. Mm-hmm. It, it literally has evolve to that uh, to that point. Uh, so a bachelor's degree is the ticket to success and not having a bachelor's degree uh, is the uh, is the opposite. And that's the, the situation we find ourselves in. It sounds like it sounds like you kind of feel like that's part of the, the narrative backdrop that makes it difficult for some alternatives to emerge. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's, uh, if it were easy, it would have happened uh, already. 
but uh, what the book uh, talks about is how these dual crises of affordability, uh, which I think is well recognized, and employability, uh, which is increasingly uh, being being recognized. Uh, so these these two crises of affordability and employability are now acting uh, on uh, on the sector and and on the population. Uh, to uh, push uh, the flowering of, of all of these uh, alternatives uh, to uh, to college that are are, are, are real alternatives to uh, good jobs in growing sectors of the economy that frankly uh, college grads increasingly aren't getting uh, for reasons we can get into. Hmm. There's that part that really struck me, and of course you probably you you probably had these conversations with people. I know I have where they're sort of like they take you aside and they're like, okay, you you know a lot of this stuff, but where where do you send your kids or like where what is, what I have a cousin who's going to college or whatever, like, what is your advice when it gets that personal, you know, what is the right answer these days or what do you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, so I, in the book, I actually have a matrix, <laughs> uh, which you probably saw where, uh, I say, uh, look, you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, we are, uh, on the verge of seeing a major bifurcation in how colleges and universities are viewed. Um, and that bifurcation will uh, be along the lines of selectivity. So uh, it's remarkable to most people that there uh, are only 200 universities uh, and colleges in the country that are selective, meaning that admit fewer than 50 percent of uh, of applicants. Only 200 out of the uh, 4,000 or whatever in the U.S. that are credited. That's right. That's right. Hmm. That's right. Those schools, um, uh, which frankly most of the listeners <laughs> of this uh, podcast will uh, will will have attended. Sure. Uh, uh, need need to be treated differently uh, because the reality is that the outcomes uh, from those uh, those schools uh, are much better uh, than the outcomes we're seeing from the other 3,800 uh, schools. And some of that uh, uh, may be due to the value added by the schools. Most of it, I believe, is is due to the caliber of the inputs uh, who were att- attracted. Uh, in other to words, the, schools, the students were, uh, to, were high to, performing when they came in. The students were high performing and would have done well regardless. Um, and so I think that's, I talk about in the book, that's probably the, the genesis of much of the college premium is this, this the self-selectivity that we're seeing. Uh, but, uh, those, those selective schools are seeing better, better outcomes. So this matrix, uh, in the, uh, in the book, I say, look, you know, if you have an affordable, uh, package at a selective school, you know, no one is going to cheer you on more than I will go do that. <laughs> Take that. Um, because that is a, a no brainer. Um, uh, and affordability we can t- get into. I have a sort of a test for affordability that I borrow from the Lumina uh, Foundation. Um, but if it's affordable and, and it's a selective school, uh, you know, go with, uh, go, go with God. Uh, and conversely, uh, if it's not a selective school and it doesn't pass uh, that uh, Lumina rule of 10 uh, test, uh, you should stay away from that uh, like the plague. Uh, you know, that's a bad decision uh, in almost every case uh, for, uh, for, for, for a young person or for, you know, an older uh, adult who who's looking to, you know, for upskilling or, or, or retraining. It so, seems like that concrete advice really boils down to for students and parents thinking about which college to pick is it's not so much about the amenities or what you saw on the tour or the quality of the teaching even maybe, which is hard to know anyway, but it's about the selectivity. This whether it's more than 50 percent, um, uh, sorry, less than 50 percent get in. And then, of course, the affordability. That's those are the factors that you think trump all. I think those are the factors that lead to economic outcomes um, that are that are overwhelmingly uh, contributing to uh, either good or bad uh, economic uh, outcomes. Uh, of course, you know what you study also matters sure. a great deal. Um, but uh, you know, you're uh, at, at, at the outset certainly 
uh, students are, are making the decision uh, not about what they're going to study uh, as much, but more about where they're going to where they're going to go and uh, or, or, or whether to go. Uh, and the basic premise is that as these alternatives and in the book, we have a directory of about 250 of these uh, faster and cheaper mm-hmm. alternatives uh, that have emerged uh, over the past few years, again, uh, that are not preparing students for, you know, vocational uh, trades or blue collar jobs, but rather uh, uh, gr- good jobs in IT and healthcare and so forth. Um, growing sectors of the economy that as the as the number of these programs goes from 250 to 2500 to 25,000 and goes from tens of thousands of seats to hundreds of thousands of seats to millions of seats, that choice, that decision uh, becomes a real one. Uh, you know, when Lumina came out with its rule of 10, which is the affordability uh, criteria that I cite in the in the book a few years ago, no one paid much attention and no one paid much attention to it because uh, when you only have one choice, which is go to college or end up on Skid Row. Uh, you know, you're going to go to the most affordable one you can. It doesn't really matter uh, whether uh, the college uh, or a, a college passes that uh, that test. Uh, as you have true alternatives emerging, uh, true faster and cheaper pathways to uh, good first jobs uh, emerging, uh, you'll have a real choice. Uh, and hopefully, that matrix will uh, give and, and the, the other factors that I that I outlined uh, will will provide parents and and, and students with uh, so, some sense that. Uh, yeah, there there is a choice, and increasingly we'll 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 have a choice as to whether or not uh, you go for uh, a a four year degree or some alternative uh, faster and cheaper pathway. Yeah, and I think you know you argue that that this is going to happen that that there will be more students um, seeking these faster and cheaper alternatives sooner than we think. You say, um, but you know there as. You know, we've been covering this here at EdSurge and, and, and you've been watching this space a long time. And a lot of these options have been around for years and have been slower than some, you know, proponents thought to catch on. So why has it been so slow and why do you think now is different? Why, why is it going to start changing? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I don't think it's that slow. Coding boot camps have only been around for five or six mm-hmm. years. Uh, so, uh, you know, in a, in, in the world of education, that's, uh, uh, you know, super fast. Sure, but then some of these, you know, <laughs> um, MOOC, early MOOC kind of promise was the same idea of like granting credits for MOOCs and yeah, yeah. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll note so, you'll you'll note you'll note in the book that I'm extremely skeptical about online. Uh, I don't think that online options are actually solving this problem or are going to be uh, these these pathways, with a couple of exceptions. Um, so these these faster and cheaper programs tend to be uh, immersive, work like environments uh, that train both on. The technical skills, uh, the digital skills that are uh, essentially the, the post-secondary, traditional post-secondary institutions are uh, are not uh, training on what, what, what I call last mile last mm-hmm. mile training, uh, as well as sort of the uh, the soft skills, the social skills uh, that employers need to need to see. Uh, and these programs are um, uh, producing what employers uh, want, and they're frankly producing what students want. And the as I as I say in the book. The single biggest change in higher education over the past decade uh, or to 10 to 20 years is that uh, previously, if you'd, if you'd surveyed young people as to why they were matriculating into a post-secondary program, only about half of them would give you an answer related to job or career mm-hmm. or income. And today, if you ask that question, uh, in every survey, it's north of 90%. And it's not just about job or career. It's about first job. Uh, young people understand that that old line, that old sort of uh, uh, college line, that we prepare you for your fifth job, not your first job. Uh, that, that 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 that's tired and discredited at this point. Everyone knows what, and I, and I wasn't able to include it in the book because it just came out. But the the new research from Strata and Burning Glass about the persistence of underemployment, uh, showing that if you don't get a good first job, 
you're probably not going to get a good fifth job. In fact, half of people who were uh, un, 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 underemployed in their first job are, are also underemployed 10 years later. Uh, so not surprisingly, uh, careers uh, and employment paths uh, are, uh, are, are path, path dependent. And getting that good first job in a growing sector of the economy is critical. And so, you know, much of what, what I talk about in the book is um, what you would build if you sort of took a, you know, what I call a design thinking approach to that problem. Meaning if you're trying to solve for a good first job, you wouldn't build the system that we have mm. now. Um, and, I, and, I, and I recognize that, uh, you know, to a lot of people in, in higher ed, uh, that will sound heretical uh, because we're not only trying to solve for that. And I acknowledge that. But I also think that it's important to recognize, uh, and, I, and, I, and I cite a litany of statistics in the book about how the millennial generation has just been slaughtered economically uh, by uh, this, this, this overwhelming focus on college and the degree as the sole pathway um, and these crises of affordability and, and employability. Uh, and that uh, they're, you know, as I say in the book, uh, bleeding out on the table <laughs> and that, you know, to 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 use a, uh, a medical uh, analogy, uh, we need to triage the situation. And, and the first thing we need to do is to stop the economic bleeding. Uh, and, and then once we've done that, we can then worry about uh, the other important uh, elements like uh, citizenship and discovery and serendipity. And all of those things that makes uh, college and, and university uh, great. There are ways to How, deal with yeah, that. Can you, can, yeah, I, first, I think um, it, it is one of those things where I can I can almost read the tweets coming in from from some some readers. So, like, wh where does that get get done? It, it, those things that are pretty pretty yeah. key. Well, there's no question that you know, first of all, uh, in a faster and cheaper universe, uh, you're going to have to have career discovery at the secondary school level, uh, which is to say. That students are going to need to exit high school, having a sense of which industry uh, they might want to get a good first job in, uh, because the the pathways are going to be very specific. You know, you want to do data analytics in healthcare. You know, here's a six month pathway. You know, perhaps probably free to the uh, uh, free to the student, employer paid, that has a guaranteed employment outcome, or you know that you'll come out making forty five fifty thousand dollars a year uh, doing sort of uh, you know uh, health uh, and business intelligence. Um, and that's a um, uh, that 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 is a, uh, a, a would be a really interesting addition uh, to the the set of options that uh, young people have exiting secondary school. But they'll need to they'll need to be educated. Uh, yeah, it seems so like that. you know there have been it, it seems like it's been a law, an old saw in in the, in the U.S. to kind of look down on some European models of of kind of sorting people very quickly in their secondary into some path. I think the German model, but I think you even mentioned some of these in your book. It seems like you're not, you, you feel like we can actually learn from these in a positive way in your view. Oh, for sure. For sure. Again, it's not for everyone, but the notion that uh, it's either college or nothing uh, is wrong. Uh, and there are going to be a plethora of uh, apprenticeships provided by apprenticeship service providers, outsourced uh, apprenticeships, uh, staffing plus last mile training, income share, models that just simply provide a better risk return profile. Throughout the book, you, you share your own experiences and as an undergraduate, uh, you know, at Yale University back when you went and, and your stories, you know, are, are not always about academics. In fact, a lot of them are kind of pranked, and goofing <laughs> off with your roommates. I mean, it's a lot of fun to read, but in this faster and cheaper alternative universe you lay out, it doesn't seem like that would be in there at all. 
So no. what do you know? Yeah, and I say yeah, that explicitly. So, yeah, I'm trying to accomplish what, what I'm saying is that it's a bit yeah. of an eulogy to what I think we're going to lose, or maybe a eulogy <laughs> to what we're going to lose. And again, I, I, I want to be clear eyed about this uh, that, uh, you know, uh, this is not a panacea. Uh, this is uh, trying to improve economic outcomes uh, for the Americans who are most at risk uh, from the current, uh, the current system, uh, who are not being well served uh, by the current system, but not. Uh, I'm not claiming uh, that, that it's an adequate replacement uh, for those who would have been successful uh, in the current system. I'm suggesting that we need more options. And I think that, that you know, uh, at least in Washington, that tend, I think that has bipartisan support. The notion that there really ought to be more, more options, more pathways to good jobs. Um, and we'll let, we'll let students choose and evaluate the sort of risk, uh, risk return. And I'm confident that as uh, more of these faster and cheaper uh, alternatives emerge, just given the numbers that we're seeing in these surveys of what young people are looking for today, they're very practical. They want that good first job. And I think what's important to recognize is, is, is that we are not arguing, I'm not arguing for a reduction in the aggregate or per capita level of post-secondary education. That would be economic suicide in the global economy. What I am arguing for is the urgent need uh, to, to, uh, for, for, for a radical restaging of how that post-secondary education is consumed. So uh, you'll take a three to six to nine to 12 month uh, pathway uh, to a good first job, hopefully one, uh, preferably one that does not uh, where you don't incur any debt. Uh, and you'll go right into a good first job in the growing sector of the economy, making, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. You'll work in that job for two, three years. You'll really understand, get a much better understanding of that industry. Is that really where you want to be of the job function? And then you'll look around and you'll say, OK, what other skills do I need? And then I think it's going to be incumbent on the 4,000 higher education institutions in this country to essentially offer a set of secondary and tertiary pathways that will address that population, right? Uh, they will have, uh, they will be further ahead, I would gather, in the, you know, in a four year period of, of, of doing that in technical and in soft skills than a, uh, than a college graduate, uh, but they probably won't be ahead in terms of cognitive skills. And so where are those pathways now? Sort of think about it as sort of an unbundled master's uh, degree. Um, uh, that's, that's a big opportunity for colleges and universities. And that's, that's really important because if we don't, um, uh, we, don't, we don't develop those pathways, uh, we will see a reduction uh, in, the, in the level of, of post-secondary education. And that's not what we want. I, I can imagine it would feel like to some readers that you're sort of giving up on giving access, right? By saying... Instead, we'll do this, this totally other thing, which is far less, obviously, like you said, unbundled and by definition, meaning, you know, slimmer, uh, not, not the whole, not yeah. the whole package. I, but, I, um, I, I, I'm going to be the last one to direct people away from sure. college or university. Uh, I think that they will, they will vote with their feet as these alternative pathways with, um, uh, guaranteed employment outcomes, uh, and, uh, no debt or entirely free. Uh, become, uh, become what about become what about the what, uh, sorry to interrupt you but what about the two year um, you know pathway to go from a two year college that's maybe free or near free to a, a four year college? Um, well, I think that's the, I think that's a bit of a, a fallacy. The notion that free community college is actually free is incorrect. Uh, two years uh, of uh, supporting yourself for two years, depending on where you live in America, is going to be somewhere between fifteen to thirty thousand. Dollars and many of those students are taking on debt uh, to support themselves uh, through the essentially two years of general education. 
so I think, you know, if another way to think about this is I'm saying, let's turn it upside down. The gen ed could come after, you know, let, let young people get uh, their foot on the first rung of the career ladder, get some economic security with no debt. And then let's worry about, you know, the general education. It needs to happen, but that should not be uh, the, the barrier, the gateway to getting a good first job and being a participant in the active economy and the vibrant American economy. And for too many, for too many young people. That's so at University Ventures, you, you are yourself, I recognize some of the com- companies you mentioned, you're, you're making bets in, through your, um, through your venture firm on which, which of these, uh, alternative programs might you, you think are the ones to, to, that, that might win. Do you have any kind of test as you look at companies, uh, to, to, to what you think will be the ones that, that will make it? I assume it fits in with yeah. the same philosophy we've been talking about. Yeah, very simple. And I don't talk about it in the book, but, um, you know, think about the, 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 the skills gap uh, and all these challenges we see in the supposedly healthy economy that we have, right? This full, full employment economy, you know, uh, <laughs> is actually uh, quite unhealthy. You know, you've seen a material diminishment in the uh, number of working age adults who are actually seeking work. About 10 million have fallen out of the workforce in the last 10 years since the Great Recession. Uh, you see uh, 6.7 million unfilled jobs, about three quarters of which are mid-skill or high-skill uh, jobs uh, that are would be appropriate for uh, college uh, college grads that remain unfilled. Uh, you see uh, issues uh, around uh, persisting under uh, underemployment and persistence of underemployment uh, over time. You see wage stagnation uh, consistently, and so you know there's a, a massive skills gap. You have uh, tens of millions of American uh, workers, older and younger workers, who are just out of position relative to, to the skills that uh, employers uh, employers are seeking. And it's no wonder. I mean, colleges and universities, as I talk about in the book, uh, have a very poor uh, interface uh, for dealing with employers. <laughs> it's called career services, um, but it's not effective uh, in terms of uh, helping universities understand uh, what uh, types of programs and skills employers are actually uh, are actually looking for. Uh, and so, so, so what's preventing the market from coming back into alignment? Well, we, we, sur- we surmise that there are two types of frictions here. On the candidate or student side, there are what we call education friction, which is the cost, the time uh, of pursuing uh, that that skill development, that education, uh, as well as the uncertainty about whether there's going to be a return uh, on it. So that's education friction. On the employer side, you have what we call hiring friction, uh, which is, uh, you know, why would I uh, why would I take the risk on someone without you know relevant experience on someone who hasn't proven that they can do the do the job, uh, right? I'll probably get a bad hire. Maybe they'll churn. I'll have, uh, I'll have extra ch- excess churn, uh, from doing that. And so you have these, these hiring frictions. And so the models that we look for, the ones that we think are, are going to, to win, uh, they address both sets of frictions. Uh, they essentially absorb those frictions into themselves, taking on the risk for both, uh, the, the student and the, uh, and the employer and providing friction free pathways to good, uh, good jobs for both. Uh, we think again, as you see hundreds or thousands of those emerge over the, over the coming years, uh, those will become, uh, the, uh, the smarter choices for many young people than enrolling in a, particularly a, a non-selective university, uh, that's not passing the Illumina affordability, uh, test. It does seem like the employers, that friction, as you put it, is the key, right? I mean, and, and though you mentioned so many of these alternative programs and, um, in your book, it still seems like, you know, for the vast majority of jobs out there that are good jobs, 
it feels like the bachelor's degree still is king, right? Maybe certain maybe certain industries are oh, better sure. than others at yes. this uh, new stuff. But let's face it, like most people have to face employers who are going to be looking for a traditional degree. How do you get past that? Yeah, no. Look, I think it's it's um, uh, if that if that weren't the case, uh, you'd have millions already enrolled in these programs. Um, so I think we're we're early days uh, for sure, but the revolution is coming, and there are lots of employers I talk about in the book uh, who are uh, very willing uh, to look at candidates who don't have uh, don't have degrees. Seventy one percent by one uh, survey uh, saying they're and, and I think that as these new programs that are specifically developing um, uh, candidates for you know, specific entry level jobs, in some cases at specific employers. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, we, we've got a ways to go here. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's the early days of a uh, revolution that will uh, shake. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming and talk about the, the book and, and these ideas. I appreciate your time. That was fun. Um, Thanks, Jeff. This has been the Ed Surge on air podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on whatever you listen to podcasts on and please take a minute to give us a rating. This episode was produced and edited by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening.